Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at elevatepod.com. In this guide created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at elevatepod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Dr. Melva Pin Bingham today. And you are going to learn about the long-term approach to developing and strengthening multiple streams of income even if you're a high income individual in your main job, or if you are a doctor, if you are an agent, if you are a corporate executive, if you're someone who's on that trajectory in whatever capacity, you're going to learn about how to strengthen and mitigate risk in your life. You're going to learn about how to think like a CEO. You're going to learn about how to shift your perspective and gain the gifts of personal development all along the process. You're going to love this episode. Elevate podcast is all about mindset, mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I am a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar together. Before we dive in today, I want to ask you to pay the fee. The fee for listening today is to share this with someone else. All you have to do is grab the link and post it on social media, send a text message and an email, or just tell someone about Elevate Podcast. All you have to tell them is, hey, go search Elevate Podcast with Tyler Chesser because it's phenomenal or whatever it is that you love about Elevate Podcast. If you've already done this before, we thank you. And again, we ask you to do the same today because the only way that we can grow is if we earn the value of your introductions. And we just are so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for you. I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to serve you, to add value to you today. If it's your first time listening to Elevate, welcome. We are ready to pour into you. I'm ready to pour into you. I'm ready to give more value than we receive times a million. So let's have a lot of fun today. Also want to get your feedback. What are you loving about Elevate Podcast? What do you not like about it? What do you want to see more from Elevate Podcast, from me, from our guests? from our team? What is it that you want to see more, more from us on or different? What would you like to see changed on Elevate Podcast? We want your feedback. Send me an email at info at elevatepod.com or send me a DM at elevatepod on Instagram. And uh, also give us a rating, a review, subscribe to Elevate Podcast and wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts. Very important. It's critical that we receive your feedback and we would love nothing more than to get a five-star review from you if, uh, if we've earned that. So give us your feedback. That is very helpful for us as well. Without further ado, I want to introduce you to Dr. Melva Pin Bingham, who is a board-certified radi- radiation oncologist, a serial entrepreneur, and investor. 
through her online private community, the 1% Code Collective, she provides strategies for top income earners to create multiple streams of income to support the career they want to love again, which I love that. She is also the host of the newly launched podcast, the 1% Code Podcast. So without further ado, please enjoy this discussion with Dr. Melva Pin Bingham. Dr. Melva Pin Bingham, welcome to Elevate. How are you? Good, good, good. Thank you so much for having me today. Wow. We got three goods in there. So that means that maybe good times three is great or extraordinary. So let's see what happens today. Let's have a fun time today. I'm excited about our conversation. I'm excited to dive into your story, your expertise, and some of the learnings that you've found along your journey that we can share with Elevate Nation to not only understand how we can optimize and maximize our opportunities in real estate, but also optimize and maximize not only our, our talents from other professional perspectives, but also our mindset. So anyway, with all that, with all that said, if you were to describe yourself in the way that the people that know you best, whether they're family members, friends, people that have known you the longest and the deepest, what would they say about you, Dr. Melva? <laughs> so I, I think that people would say I explain things really well and to explain things really well, it means I'm a good listener and it's interesting. So I had a patient finish today. I'm a radiation oncologist. So I work in the cancer clinic and she got very emotional and I'm not a hugger in these COVID times. So I keep my six feet. If that woman didn't drag me across the floor to say just how much she appreciated my patience and listening to her and explaining things in a, a way that she could understand. I think, I think that skill is what applies to real estate opportunities. It's, it's that compassion and being able to see something in someone that they can't see in themselves. So I I think that's what they would say. They're like, of course we can go to Melva if it's hard. We can go to Melva if we need somebody to listen. I I think that's what they would say. That's really cool. I like how being a clear communicator actually starts with listening and being patient (laughs) with other people. That's there's a, there's a lot of insight there. So I appreciate you sharing that. Talk to us a little bit about your, your backstory, your upbringing a little bit. Obviously you mentioned you're a physician, so I'm sure we'll talk about that, but give us a sense of where you came from, what life was like growing up and, and, you know, give us a little color there. Yeah, sure. So I am one of three. I'm the middle child. I know people have different theories on the middle child and they're probably all true. I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. My father is a family physician. He's retired. My sister's a doctor. My brother is, um, you know, really finding his own way because he had two girls and my mother's an educator. Both my parents are cancer survivors. So growing up, I had an idea that I wanted to do medicine But the thought of being an entrepreneur wasn't necessarily nurtured, but it started very early for me. So it was kind of this concept. Fast forward now, it was, can you be an entrepreneur and a physician? And so I help a lot of other physicians with that physician identity versus physician entrepreneur identity. Um, And so growing up, I was just like... I feel like most people say I haven't changed from when they know me from growing up. Like I had this high energy, super smart kid that wasn't all nerdy, um, you know, just able to make friends with different people and always doing something new. Like I don't really do a lot of things more than 90 days. I feel like I'm always looking for something new. <laughs> so That's awesome. Yeah. Well, but you're also committed, obviously, to, you know, being the next version of yourself. You mentioned the identity and just Mm -hmm. with the physician identity and kind of helping others, other physicians with maybe expanding into being an entrepreneur as well as a physician. Could you talk a little bit about the importance of why you said that word identity? What what does that mean and what's that all about? Yeah, so. I want to say, and this, this sounds really crazy, but one of my second jobs after residency, so I moved around a lot. And this is when I think I was really introduced to the concept of personal development, personal growth is that my first job out of residency was painful. 
I, I went to residency. I went to undergrad at Duke University. I did medical school in Eastern North Carolina, which is where I practice medicine now. And then I went all the way out to California, like LA area to do residency in radiation oncology. And when I came back to the East Coast to be closer to family, the, the job made sense. The money made sense. I'm a great negotiator, by the way. And so I negotiated these things, but what didn't work were things that I didn't understand. I didn't understand the culture of an environment. I didn't understand mission and vision and value and self-worth. And so basically I was pregnant with my third child at the time I left this job after 18 months. And I just declared that I will never be in a situation where, you know, my, my values and my integrity are questioned, whether I'm a physician at a junior level or not. And I also made a declaration at that time that I am a physician and I'm an entrepreneur and that I own the rights to things that are entrepreneurial, you know, such as real estate investing or other businesses. So it was a transition to who I had always been. So for years, 14 plus years of training as a, you know, a physician, it was all around, I'm a physician. When I meet people, hi, I'm Dr. Melva Pinbingham or hi, I'm a physician or hi, I'm a radiation oncologist. And you know, I had to move into that. Who am I without the medicine? And when I was in an entrepreneurial world, I got stung really badly because a lot of the traits that helped me to be successful as a physician hurt me as an entrepreneur. So that was a mouthful, but interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it does. I mean, you, you talked about you, you've, you became aware of personal development and that was a moment where there was some growth that you experienced individually and, and also sort of making this transition into this person that you knew you are always were perhaps underneath the surface or, or, or unconsciously. And that's really interesting. So what was it that you learned about personal development in that, in that moment? Yeah. So I guess let me back up a little bit. So I, there was a lot of soul searching that had to be done. There was, um, you know, there were like processes and systems of when you go through something, the money you can bounce back from. And I tell people this all the time, like when, when you have a wealth mindset and you attract money, you can attract money, continue, you can lose it all and get it all back. But the damage that's done in self-confidence, self-worth after something happens to you, especially as a strong, um, very successful person takes a lot longer. So that's really when I, I guess I discovered that I had to do the work instead of questioning myself and how, you know, could a situation blow up? Essentially just a short story. And a lot of physicians I know can understand this or anybody in corporate. I was a junior and I went into a system that really just needed a body, but not the whole career person. And I wasn't prepared to, to really support myself through that. And so the personal development actually came in the form of a leadership Institute. And I didn't know it was personal development. And it was the first time I'll I'll never forget. This was back. Gosh, it was like two years after I finished residency and I was in this leadership Institute and it was with a surgeon. He thought highly of me. And I thought this was for medical leadership at a hospital. And it turns out it was the concept. The first time I learned about limiting beliefs. And I remember they had this diagram on the board. It was like to go from a to E and I had this uh, mentor and he said, you know, have you had any problems growing up or anything? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm good. Like, what are you talking about? And he was like, well, I noticed that every time we say things, you play devil's advocate. And he just pointed out things that I was doing. It was one of the first times, it's going to sound crazy, that someone pointed out to me how high the, of the expectations that I had for myself. And that I was portraying that onto other people and that I was disappointed because I thought everybody could be an overachiever, energetic like me. And I know this sounds really silly for anyone who's heard this before, but it was an eye-opening experience. You know, they did the whole, what's it like the 360 degree circle evaluation on leadership and they take it to everyone and see what they think about you. And if you're an integrity, if you're compassionate, you know, all these different categories 
And I was like, okay, this is like the things they do in corporate. Because in medicine, we don't, we didn't do that. So that program was very eye-opening for me. We talked about trust. We read all the books. And that was really like the, I feel like that was the beginning of kind of the personal development for me. Mm -hmm. You know, what's so interesting about it as you're describing this, you know, sometimes we like to say, well, personal development, it's, it's great. It feels awesome. And it's, you know, we're, we're moving, we're growing, we're expanding, but really I think real personal development is kind of like it hits you in between the eyes, you know, like it kind of hurts. It's like, wow, I feel like, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's not normal or, you know, but, but we can, this is an invitation to become the next version of ourselves. And so you were talking about, you, you learned about limiting beliefs and your own limiting beliefs in that yeah. moment. I'm sure yeah. you went down a, a, a rabbit hole or per, perhaps a path yourself from there. Like maybe I did and maybe many of the listeners have done in terms of, well, wait, if that's a limiting belief, then what else could be? And one of the things that I feel like that you have learned along this journey as well is that, you know, your upbringing and sort of your trajectory as a physician and those thought processes and those things that allows you to be successful in that world and continue to allow you to be successful, perhaps are a little bit different in terms of what it allows you to be successful in terms of creating wealth, being an entrepreneur, being an investor. So you were talking about money mindset and wealth mindset as well. Could you talk about some limiting beliefs that you've identified in terms of (laughs) wealth mindset as well? Right. So I I think if anyone, if you don't have a long time on this, I think you can just Google Tony Robbins and like listen to five to 10 minutes of, of him. And if you can't relate to at least one of the phrases he has, then then you're lucky, but like, you know, the whole concept of money doesn't grow on trees, like, like hearing that and the blocking beliefs around money. And, you know, I had to do some work because, you know, this whole concept we talk about with mindset and development is the story that we put around the event and the emotion that we apply to it. So what I found that I was doing, so a lot of people can relate to this, but as physicians, we have a lot of student debt. And so a lot of our goals is to get out of student debt but we can either carry it around like an elephant and apologize for it, or we can use it to like, you you know, your word is elevate us. And so what I was doing is I was telling myself the same story. I was rehashing, you know, why a student loan wasn't paid or why I used the money to go on these nice vacations, or, you know, I was carrying around these things and I was making stories for it. And, and people, when we were talking about this, they were just like, I want you to forgive yourself. And I remember like before I really understood it and I wasn't at that level, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what do I have to forgive? And it was what they were hearing me put out. And it was about the money mindset around debt, bills. Um, you know, it wasn't the fact of not being able to make money. I had no problem with making money, but it was a story that I was telling myself around the problems that I, that I didn't have that were holding me back. And it was like, once that was released and I had to do positive affirmations, you know, I I work with some coaches around that. I would study people like Tony Robbins and other coaches just to say, okay, I'm, I'm being judgmental on myself. And like, the money's not going to go away until I, you know, start opening the mail and pay these student loans or whatever debt I've had. And it's, you know, it really opened it up for me to like release if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. You know, it's so interesting. The phrase also that you just shared was I never had any problem making money, but I think the (laughs) shift was making versus keeping or building true wealth. So talk to us about when you realize, Hey, financial education, financial, you know, literacy is going to be important for me to create more freedom in my life because it wasn't just you, you had obviously entered into a world as a physician where you could create high income, you know, maybe one of the highest income, you know, 
careers that, that really is out there. So when did you learn that financial intelligence would be important for you beyond just obviously facilitating a, a wealth mindset? Yeah. So I think it was around the same, like, you know, inciting incident. It was that first job when my, not only my identity, but my wallet and my wealth. So I'm married to a stay at home. My my husband's a real estate investor. It was his dream. He really pulled me into that. And now he's multi-franchise owner and, you know, he was able to raise our kids, but I was, we were sole bread. I was a sole breadwinner. And at the time that what I prepared for may not have been forever, it became very obvious to me that, Hey, look, I got to have something else that's exactly the same. And if, you know, I I started to have that concept of, I don't want to trade time for money and I need an alternative. I show up in the clinic because I want to, not because I have to. And it took a really long time to get to that. And I had mentors along the way who just talked about it and said, you know, you want to be able to go to work and work with your patients, not because you need the paycheck, just because you love it. And it's what you want to do. And I had to show up for so long because I didn't deal with the financial intelligence. So it was, it was all like at the same time, it was this big awakening of holy crap. Like, what do I do now? If the job doesn't work out and I can't be happy, I can't have family. How, how else can I make money? And then, and then it kind of switched to, and I guess, you know, you probably understand this. It wasn't really about how much money I made, because when you see these fire FI stories, they're people who make a 10th of what I make and they have true wealth. They had real estate, they had cash flowing assets. Like that's why we looked into the franchise business and it wasn't about how much money you were bringing in. It was what you were doing with it. And it, it sounds so cliche, but it, it's a lot deeper than I think you would think growing up, just hearing that. Yeah. It's not what you make. It's what you keep. I remember uh, when I got started in this business before I was really an investor, I was a real estate agent and a commercial real estate broker. And I remember I was like, man, this is great. I'm like, you know, my income is up so much more than it was when I was in corporate. Uh, But then I had to pay the first tax bill. And I was like, whoa, what was that? That was insane. (laughs) And so it wasn't about what I made, but it was about what I kept overall. And so then I started to kind of go down this path about, hey, you know, how can I, you know, be more of a tax strategist and so forth. And of course, I'm sure you you did similar things. So in terms of, you know, strengthening your financial intelligence at that time, you mentioned you surrounded yourself with coaches and other people that could sort of help advise you, of course, your husband being a real estate investor. So then you found real estate as being an avenue and a vehicle that you could create more wealth through. So what was your next step from there? Right. So, so really my husband had intention, every intention of doing real estate investing really as soon as we kind of settled down, we started our family when I was in residency. So he got the first house, actually, he did his first fix and flip in this job that I ended up leaving. So, um, he did a fix and flip. We work with the bankers and then we got our second one at the second job when I kind of was in this, like, discovery period. There has to be something else. I think we did like three rentals, long stream, you know, long-term buy and hold rentals. And now we're kind of at the evolution. So this is about, we're about 10, 11 years into our real estate investing journey. Now we're at the evolution of getting smarter, like you said, with companies that work with tax strategies or, you know, a, a big kind of topic in the physician entrepreneur world is people learning how to have their partner themselves with different workout hours with the like RPE status or mm-hmm. MP or, you know, all those like fancy words or real short estate term professional, rental exclusion. Right? Right. Yeah. Right, right. For people listening, real estate professional. And, and I feel like that's kind of the buzz now. That wasn't the buzz 10 years ago. I don't even know if that was around the terminology, but we're at this point of, you know, it's, 
we, we've made a lot of shifts with what we're doing. So I feel like when you first start with something, you do like the FOMO, like what people are doing. Okay. If at the time everybody's doing fix and flips, that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then when you pull back, you're like, okay, wait, it's portfolio level. So when we went to, we were in Athens, Ohio, there were, there were investors that literally had these huge portfolios, like a monopoly on the environment, you know, on the, on the location. And it was difficult to tap in there. So we had to expand and look at Columbus, Ohio, and it was just ripe and open. We found a great broker. He like, his name is Jay. (laughs) Hello, Jay, (laughs) if you're listening. And he was just, he was really good. He followed through with his word. He made the process easy. um, And we had a good property management. So as we transition and we move back to Virginia, it was this evolution of, okay, we want to have wealth, but we're not young anymore. So we don't want to do something here. Basically our rental portfolio and real estate followed my medical career. And so like the bankers would look at our portfolio when we looked and they're like, so did you just basically get money from every bank that was in the hospital where you worked? Yeah. Like what's wrong with that? You know? And so as we, as we've developed on the wealth and what made sense, it's, you know, we pull back from the the buy and holds and they're, you know, mostly in Virginia. We sold off a lot. We have commercial investments, new construction. So it's, 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 it's evolved. And I think as we've gotten smarter and we've looked at what makes sense financially. So I've heard you say before that success began when you shifted your mindset to a CEO perspective. Yes. Could you expand <laughs> upon that thought? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the podcast. So, so yeah, I think, I feel like I've always been at the ground level. It doesn't really matter what it is that I've been doing, whether it was part of my medical career or as a mother, I have three children, 13, 11, and seven at the time of this recording. And um, I'm always like deeply involved. And that CEO perspective is not at the grassroots level. They are, you know, above, I almost feel like you have to step outside of the house and peek in through the window to see what's going on with your systems and processes. And that's a difficult transition for someone like me. I'm a, I'm a caregiver. Like I want to be right there and make sure it goes okay. But that didn't equate to success. What works better is the people. It's okay. I'm constantly, I find myself, and maybe you find this too, is that I'm looking for people to bring into my network that can supplement my weaknesses. And then I'm even looking for people who are better at what I think I'm good at, that they're even better than me because it just opens up and so many light bulbs have gone off. And so I don't look at competition. I look at collaboration now or, you know, inspiration. And it, it really helps me to keep going. And it's, it's interesting when I'll go to someone and I talked about imposter syndrome on my show yesterday, actually, um, because this comes up, but I'll go to someone and I'm like, Oh my God, what you're doing is great. And then they'll bring up something I did. And I completely forget that I did it. Cause I told you, I have some of that ADD there. Like, Oh, I did that a couple of years ago. But the CEO perspective is constantly looking for growth. You know, it's, it's, I can't work on my business if I'm working in my business or however that phrase goes. Mm -hmm. And, and I think when you make that transition, it's just amazing the opportunities that, that show up because there are some people that have no desire to be a CEO. And I love those people. They just really want to be entrepreneurs within your company and they don't need their own company. They, they just... They, they work better that way. It's almost like a entrepreneur introvert. <laughs> yeah. So. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor. Then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide 
property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities, are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. That's so good. I mean, you think about it, you know, I, I think it's like 95% of people are not really meant to be entrepreneurs or, or something along those lines. You know, yeah. like the, 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 the popular thing in American society today is, hey, be an entrepreneur. Everybody should be an entrepreneur, this, that, and the other. But not everybody is necessarily cut out to be that. And maybe many of the listeners who are listening to say, maybe that's me too. Maybe I've been trying to do something that I'm not, you know, meant to do, or maybe you are, but either way, being the CEO or having the mindset of being a CEO for your life to me, I think is super valuable to say, all right, yeah. well, what would a CEO do? The CEO right. asks the question instead of how can I do this? It's who can help me do this, right? Exactly. Who can bring, who can come into my life and I can add value to them and they can also add value to me. And also we can think strategically, we can think three, four steps ahead rather than just, Hey, a plus B equals C because you know what? It's maybe not always that, you know, straightforward. And so I just think that's really valuable thinking about how can we shift our perspective rather than I have to do everything to other people can step in and we can do bigger things together. And one plus one may equal five. Right. And, right, and I think exactly. that there's, there's so much value in that, but what else would you say has been, you know, a big shift in your perspective other than just kind of thinking of things in terms of building your wealth and your portfolio as a CEO, is there any other shifts that you've made? Right. Yeah. Let, let me add one more though, just as an offshoot to that one, because I think it's important if I haven't said this and this was an eye opening moment for me as well, is that not only do you ask that question of being a CEO of your life, a CEO of your business instead of in your business, it's also the question of, and, and maybe you touched on this with the 95% of people who you know aren't meant to be entrepreneurs, there's some entrepreneurs who aren't meant to be the CEO of their business. And when yes. that concept, when I learned that it was you know, like for me, I love to see a project off the ground, get it started and concept, monetize it. And then I go on to the next thing. And that was a big shift for me because I thought there was a problem with me or something because I couldn't just do one thing forever. Like, I can't tell you how many coaches I work with. They're like, Melva, like you can do these 10 things, but just pick one, just pick one person. And I'm like, I can't, I can't. <laughs> and so I realized like, Hey, look, I may not like my purpose in life may not be to be the CEO of one business. Maybe what I'm supposed to do, which is what I'm doing now is coaching other entrepreneurs and finding what they're doing. And then I move on or see opportunities. So that was another kind of shift that's like that CEO, but it's, you know, and it goes back to these limiting beliefs of, okay, one, you have to be an entrepreneur. If you're an entrepreneur, then you're the CEO of your business. No, I may hire another CEO. And I, I worked in, I work with a, a mastermind kind of guru lady. And when she first said that, I thought she was a little cuckoo. And then I realized it after I worked with her, I was like, yeah, you don't need to be the CEO of your business, but you know, like you kind of started it. And so anyway, that was another, that was another big shift for me. Um, what's another one? Like, you know, a lot of people used to ask me how, like I do it. How are you a doctor? How do you own multiple franchises? How do you have kids? Like, do you sleep? I used to get that all the time and I never really had an answer. And more recently, maybe in the last three to five years, my answer is that 
you know, I, I outsource, I build community. I'm okay getting help. And I, I tell people this all the time. I have not met anyone that is, you know, multi six, seven, eight figures that is doing it completely by themselves. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't look to that kind of superwoman complex. One of my friends, Dr. Swiner wrote a book, the super, no superwoman complex. She's a doctor. I, I don't, I don't aspire for that anymore. You know, like, like before we got on this call, the tutor was coming to help my 13 year old because she's a 13 year old. I need other people. And this tutor is specifically younger than me. She's 25. She's still excited. She's patient, (laughs) you know, like that's not going to come for me on a Friday afternoon with something that's due today. So I, I look for people that don't have what I have, but their value is going to elevate that. And I'm okay getting Mm. help. I value paying for help. I I don't have a problem. I don't, I'm not someone that's going to like negotiate someone's rate. If you feel this is your value, this is your worth. I'm going to pay you that. And I'm a big tipper. I'm going to tip you. So it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's it's one of those things where you, my values have shifted. Mm-hmm. My values have shifted. That makes sense. And we think about thinking strategically, like what we're talking about, I feel like is, is we're, we're thinking about, you know, how we're going to act, how we're going to behave yeah. and what our principles are. But I want to shift gears just a little bit. When you think okay. of being an investor, obviously being a physician and also thinking about how am I going to continue to strengthen my own family's financial capacity? You know, what are my goals for my family? What are my goals for my own financial portfolio, my own real estate portfolio? obviously the central theme of investing in my opinion is risk, right? And so how do we manage risk? Talk to me about a little bit about how you manage risk in your own investments. Yeah. So it's interesting because I'm, I'm going through a trading course now and, and it's interesting. They taught like day trading and, you know, swing trading and the, the actual teacher focused on risk management before she actually did like technical analysis and chart analysis. And I love, this is a woman who's made, you know, a million dollars in a day who's teaching the course. And I, I, I took pause for that because she's, is teaching you about risk management before she teaches you how to make all of the money. And I think we should all pay attention to that. Like she changed her entire course around before she even taught you how to make the money on how to manage the money. So I like to, you know, put that into other aspects of my life. And so what we do, and we had to do this, it was very uncomfortable, but we separated out our bank accounts. And we had a financial person that told us we were very young that said, you know, you have your safe money, then you have your home run money. And we wanted to use our safe money to make home runs. And he said, if you continue to do that, I don't want to work with you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, Jesus. Okay. Be honest with me. Right. Um, but you know, those are the kind of people that make differences in your life 15, 20 years later. And you look back and you remember that conversation and it changed you. So for our risk management, we pay attention to safe money, you know, liquidity. We've, we've borrowed a lot of, we've made a lot of money. We borrowed a lot of money. We've paid back a lot of debt. And the number one thing that I think anyone who's investing with us as investment partners or banks is they want to know you have liquidity. They want to know that you have that safe money, um, that you have that rainy day money. And I think the excitement of getting into, you know, buying houses, doing short-term rentals, people forget that you have to have room. So we're more of like, you know, 10, 15, maybe even 20% sometimes of that cushion. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't, we don't leverage ourselves out completely where there's no breathing room, but we are as a, and I say, we, my husband and I as our investors, we are open to some risk. And, and this is what I suggest people do is take some type of risk assessment. 
Like you can go to financial advisor, you can go anywhere and figure out what is your risk tolerance. So if I'm willing to lose a hundred thousand dollars, you know, I, I was, I was coaching with a physician the other day and one of my clients and she's looking to get in a franchise. And she said, the startup costs were two fifty. And I said, okay, well, can you lose $250,000? And she started laughing. She's like, I don't want to. I said, yeah, I didn't ask you that. I just asked if you're going into this, how much room do you have in your portfolio? Because I can talk to some people who are like, yeah, I can lose a hundred thousand. It's no big deal. But if you can't, then we need to get a risk management plan for you. That makes sense. Like, what are you willing to lose? What does your portfolio look like? You know, do you have any, um, do you, like we kept one property for a while that was just high equity. It was paid off and it was one of those things. We're going to keep this. We're not going to leverage against it. If we need it, we can liquidate out. And we did that for a very long time. And I don't know that we were smart enough to know what we were doing, but looking back, that's why people invested with us because we had that property. So <laughs> have I answered your question yet? I'm sorry. <laughs> you have. I mean, well, tell me a little bit about allocation because you talked about safe money versus home run money. Yeah. I've heard the allocation before of like 10, 80, 10, where you've got 10% and, you know, perhaps liquid assets or maybe even, you know, more sort of insurance like assets, maybe like, you know, bullion, hard gold or silver or, mm -hmm. you know, or even cash. And then 80% in like you're down the middle of the fairway type of investments, like real estate, you know, cash flowing real estate or other, you know, businesses that, that provide a certain dividends ongoing. And then perhaps 10%, right. you know, of your speculative, more speculative, in, in nature type of um, investments. Is that sort of a similar allocation that you approach or, or how does it look like for you? So I have to be honest, full disclosure here, you know, the making money versus keeping money. So my husband and I are very much like not traditional. Okay. So we have... So we're somewhere in between that, like we're invested in some startups like out in California for artificial intelligence. And then we have... Um, he likes, my husband is very active. So he has the time. So he likes to be hands on real estate investments. So he's not in any real estate syndications. Like we've talked about starting our own private equity fund. So we have some of the traditional products, like you said, but then a lot of what we have is a little more liquid because he is a day trader. My husband does that in stocks, does very well. So we don't have the traditional ones. I don't really have a good answer. But we do have some type of numbers that I can't really tell you, but it makes sense with our financial <laughs> advisors. So like, you know, for our cash flowing assets, we have the franchises, you know, we mm -hmm. have the great brand. We have like Cold Stone Creamery, which is fantastic. Subway's taking a lot of work. We've only had that one for a year. Um, then we have our real estate portfolio that's a mix. And then we have his day trading activities. And then we have a lot of, you know, we have like my coaching business. I have a couple different products and, um, than my salary, which is kind of that safe money. Like I still go to work and I like to tell people this, I'm a full-time employed physician and an entrepreneur. So I have a lot of safety there, if, yeah. if that makes sense. But I don't have a good... I know a lot of other people who could quote you that very well, but we're just not there yet. Just because we're, 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 we're different, but that doesn't mean we don't have some figure. So. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's, it's just good for the listener to consider, well, how, how are you allocated? And maybe you don't know yeah. that exact number, but just think about yeah. your risk tolerance and how you're managing risk, how you're exactly. taking swings for home runs, you know, every now and then. Right. right? So, right. you know, one of the things that I love about what you do is, you know, you're a physician, you're a high earner, but you're also focused on multiple streams of income. Oh, yes. Why is it, first of all, the first part of the question is why is it important for other people in your position or similar to be considering multiple streams of income. And then talk to us a little bit about what role franchises have played for you. Cause I know that real estate is a big piece. You talked about some other stuff there. You talked mm -hmm. about some specific franchises as well. So maybe give us a little bit of a look behind the curtain there. 
Okay. Yeah. So multiple streams of income is important. Number one, we're in this pandemic year, right? And I think this was a time that people realized what was really important to them, which was family, freedom, time. And you're not going to get that from one stream of income because things just happen and they can continue to happen. So as high income earners or other physicians specifically, the systems are changing and that joy and fulfillment may not be there the way it was in the beginning. So you have to have something to fall back on and you don't want to wait until, I don't know how to say this any other way, but I have everything. I want everything to be in a place where if I just decide to go and work and just say, F it, this is it. I'm okay. Financially, my family's okay. Like I, you know, like it's, it's almost like when coming to America came out and you know, like one of the reasons I want to make money is because I want to pay someone to do what he had people do. But anyway, we won't go there on your show. <laughs> I don't know who your <laughs> listeners are, but it, it's, it's that, it's that safety net. And so I think the other thing, multiple streams of income can do, and I don't think it's all at once. I think you build it slowly, just like people get on social media, they try to grow all their channels at once instead of becoming a master at Instagram first before they get on Facebook or et cetera. So I think you have to stepwise build these different buckets and it can be slow over time and other streams of income can start out really slow. And I think it's still meaningful. It's just the structure in the system. Even if you have something that's going to give you, I don't know, a thousand to $5,000 a year, it can make a difference. It can be a grocery bill. It can be, you know, a delivery thing. It can be a splurge. It doesn't have to be the hundred thousand dollar, you know, side hustle that, that a lot of people aim for. And then when you have to shift your perspective and you evolve your strategy, then you can grow what you've already started. So you're not starting at once. So I think that's one of the reasons why multiple streams is important. And then you asked another question. Yeah. Sorry. And then, well, so first of all, that's, that's really important and insightful. I thought it was, you know, something that, and I just want to comment on this real quick before we go to the next, just to remind you on the next part of the question, because I know it was a long uh, winded question, <laughs> but building streams slowly over time, right? You can chip away at this. It doesn't happen overnight, but if you have the mindset and the intention to do this and you remain sort of committed to that outcome, I think over time, that's where you start to see massive results and that's where it starts to compound and you start to see a, a lot of amazing amazing things, you know, attracted into your lifestyle. So okay. the second part of the question was about franchising. And okay. I know that you've done a lot of that. So talk to, talk to us a little bit about what your strategy is there, what you've experienced, maybe some brands. You, you talked about a couple of brands that you're involved mm -hmm. in and, and what that looks like. Yeah. So franchising for us was everyone's like, so we own a Cold Stone Creamery location. We actually have franchise rights and we're in negotiation doing a lease improvement for a second Cold Stone Creamery location. And we own a subway. So this is new within the last couple of years. We've had it for, I guess, a little over a year at this point. Maybe we're in year two of the Cold Stone. The reason we shifted to that, everyone's like, so do you just love sandwiches and ice cream? And it's like, no, this is <laughs> completely about profits, return on investment and opportunities. So, and cash flow. So when we looked at our portfolio, going back again, again, I tell you, we're kind of creative. It's not the, the standard one. We've taken the advice. So a lot of the friends I like to make, and if they're listening, call me up. I love VPs of banks. I love VPs of banks that are also real estate investors themselves because they teach valuable lessons. The problem is they could give the information out for free and no one would listen. We listen. Like we made this decision. We're going to talk to these people who are seeing these numbers. They're working with people who have hundred times the size portfolios of what we do. You know, they're kind of bird dogs. Those are the real estate investors listening. And so we take those relationships very seriously. And so when we were looking at our portfolio, they wanted to see more cash flowing assets. 
So we approach franchising from business acquisition. So just like a real estate that needs paint and carpet, we were looking for a business where we could go in and add some paint and carpet, right? So for the Cold Stone, it was a distressed seller. The business had been there for a while. We knew a casino was coming next door. Entertainment increases, you know, the food service industry and the dessert increases that. And then we saw value add opportunities. You know, you, you talk about this in these syndications, like, you know, can you add an elevator or a laundry room? For us, it was adding, you know, better workflow, increased third-party delivery. We're actually the top of um, for our region on third-party delivery because we added those services. And it was, how can we go and improve this, if that makes sense? So that's what franchises are for us. The next question I always get, so I'll just go ahead and answer if you want me to, is, you know, do you make any money in franchising? Like, is it profitable? I want to start a franchise. Am I going to make money? I've heard it's in the multiples. Franchising is definitely specific to the brand and the company, the location. And a lot of the money is in multiples, but every once in a while, you get that opportunity that you can increase if you're doing like what I talked about, where it's in a you're acquiring a business that's already in business. So it's not that first three to five years of a startup. So even if you have a franchise, it's still a startup that has to grow. So my advice to people is that they're looking at franchises and any other thing we did, which I have to mention is that we work with district managers and management. So I'm not scooping ice cream. I did in the beginning cause it was cool. And I was taking pictures for social and <laughs> our manager was out, you know, like we had the kids in there making cakes. Cause that's a big, big time seller for Colston Creamery. Um, I was in the beginning, but now it's on the back end CEO management um, and my husband and, and we have a district manager. So we're not, present owner operators, but we're not too far away. So I guess my advice for people is that if you're just doing a franchise, you have to figure out why, like, is it because mm -hmm. you love it or because you need the money or, you know, like there's some people who get a franchise just because they love that franchise. And that wasn't our reason. So sounds like it's a long-term strategy. It's not like a, it's yeah. definitely, it's just like real estate. It's not a get rich quick scheme. It seems. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cause franchising is a lot of work and every franchise isn't a good fit. So I, I can't say that we'll stay with the other, the other brand forever. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to leave it before a year. Cause it'll be a year next, next month for subway. Um, it's a tough, we got a tough location. So I actually got it from another real estate investor who owns like 10 hotels on the beach. And so I told him, I was like, Hey, when you decide to hand over some hotels for me, just give, give me a call. Let's stay in contact. You know, I'll take those, <laughs> but he decided to get out, but the subway and that franchise at one point, I think he had like 12 locations. It was a starting point for him to then invest his money and grow it into something that's paying him a lot more. So he, he kind of hmm. cleaned it up. So you're almost playing the long game then with that relationship. I like that. Y yes. I keep relationships are money. <laughs> like, and yeah. once you learn that it's, it's golden. So for sure. So yeah. quick, yeah. quickly, how are you sourcing franchising opportunities? And, and is this a strategy that you're looking to expand? So we, again, I, I'll go to relationships and mentorships and, and my husband is a great deal of this. So I have to give him credit for this. He's actually recovering. He completely ruptured his Achilles tendon, had oh, surgery. So he's geez. upstairs with his leg elevated, but <laughs> he's really the mastermind of a lot of the franchising. And he was working, he was working with someone. It was this concept of just like business acquisition and, you know, taking the, because if you're a real estate investor and you're doing well, you're going to have money. You have to figure out what to do with that money to grow something else. And I think, sure. yeah. And so for anybody who hasn't made money in real estate yet, like that's, that's the next step once you start making money. So our goal has shifted a little bit. So one of the mentors we work with, he actually owns maybe to the order of 40, maybe locations. And he works with multiple district 
managers across the country. And then his next step is that he started his own franchise chain outside of the ice cream one. So I think we're thinking of more narrowing it down with one brand because doing two different brands, it's, it's kind of complimentary, but it's, it's a lot of work. It's a completely different language when I'm talking about like Subway announced they're going to come out with keto bread versus, you know, the creation, the boo Halloween batter for Cold Stone Creamery, like getting those ingredients. It's a different language, if that makes sense. It's almost mm-hmm. like for investors who are doing short-term rental versus a commercial, you know, versus a real estate syndication. It's just completely different languages. Yep. So our goal is probably to increase in the number, but it may not be with multiple brands. Got it. So, so are you finding those opportunities exclusively oh, through relationships? Sorry. sorry, that's what you asked me. So no when we first when we first found it, we actually used like the website. What is it? The um like one of the generic business listing websites you don't have to have, so okay. you don't have to have a membership for. I forget yeah. what it is. I haven't been on there in a while. And then the second It's like location. the loop net of business sales exactly. or whatever it is. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. It's like the loop net of business sales. And then after that, it was a development of a relationship. We actually were going to pay 150000 acquisition for a subway. Got to know the people in the subway, found out that the numbers weren't right. This owner was kind of getting out of it. it. There was a shift in the franchise. So a lot of people were getting out of it who'd owned it because they didn't like what, you know, the new direction of the brand, which you're mm-hmm. going to see on any brand. So it's not sure. any proprietary information. And so we found out that, hey, that wasn't a good look. And then we actually got into it. And I told these people, they sold the store to us for like a dollar. And people were like, wow, you can get into a store, but it's a lot more than getting into a store. So you pay inventory, you don't have a sales price, you're signing a lease, you know, for Mm -hmm. rent. So it's, it's a commitment. It's a marriage there, but it just was eye opening it to us when we learned about these quote giveaway stores. It's it's the same as in real estate where you Mm -hmm. have people that are, you know, are tired of the land or they just want to get it out of their name and you can get it. So with that, that was relationship. The second opportunity was relationship and the other franchise location for the Coldstone will be a startup for us, but we were awarded that because we did so well with the first location. But I think just talking, my advice, anyone listening would be talking to people who go to restaurants a lot and they can tell if the manager's out, if the owner's distressed, um, you can tell from parking lots where the landlord is kind of slumping and you know, there's no owner that's there that notices their trash wasn't picked up or their violations. So I think it's just a word of mouth community and restaurant brokers are really good people. I don't know that everyone would use them to purchase a franchise, but they have friends in the industry. It's very small knit. Like someone who sells restaurants used to work for the franchise and now they're getting into sales. So I think it's a lot of good conversations. Yeah. Well, whether or not any of the listeners end up going into franchising, I think you just expanded the mind of what's possible and creating and developing and strengthening multiple streams of revenue and income, you know, through various businesses, through various acquisitions, whether it's through different types of asset classes in real estate or different businesses. And so to me, like the principles are similar, right? It's, it's relationships. It's about identifying risk. It's about doing your due diligence. It's about understanding what you're getting into. It's about identifying how can you add value and also investing in yourself along the way, right? And recognizing that you're the CEO, you're the decision maker. So Dr. Melva, this is awesome. I want to transition into our rapid fire section of the podcast. We call it the rare air questionnaire. I think you're rare. I mean, you're a physician, (laughs) you are an investor, you are a franchise owner. You're continuing to coach so many different people. You're investing in yourself in so many ways. This has been a lot of fun, but I have a few questions for you. Uh, If you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? 
Yeah. So I have them on my wall in front of me and, um, this is an old one, but the millionaire next door, I haven't read it in two or three years, but I read it as a teenager. And actually I was dating my husband at the time. We both have that copy and that's by um, Stanley and Dunko. It's behind my light. And, and that book was impactful because it talked about the millionaire mindset. And this was before there was like the internet and everything. And, you know, the, the concept of, and even though I didn't follow everything to the T, it was still back there at some point for me to get back to, um, but that book was impactful. And then what else do I have on my wall? I have the secret. And I, I think you can understand why I think most people have that. Um, and then I have my Bible here. Cause I, if I haven't said it, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer and I thank God for every opportunity I've had. Cause it, you know, I've made a lot of wrong mistakes, but I fell forward and, and grow. So I think those are the books I would quote. I just love your commitment to growth. I mean, you're, you're talking about all these different mentors and coaches that you have and, you know, obviously a commitment to learning and growing and being humble and saying, look, I don't know everything. I've made a lot of mistakes, but I've <laughs> yeah. also had a lot of great blessings to me as a great lesson as well. I but, am but, a recovering courseaholic though. I have to admit that. <laughs> and I, I recognize when I find other courseaholics. So I am on a, I am on a break right now. I'm only mm. offering my courses. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Well, you don't want to be a success zombie from what I, you know, it's like one of those things. It's like you, you attend a conference, you read a book, you listen to a right. podcast, you, you go to a course and it's like, do you do anything? Let's, let's right. implement at this point. Right. Exactly. That's my favorite word for people. I'm like, have you implemented anything? Yes. So. Now it's time to take action. What's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? Oh gosh. So I have at my desk when I go to work and I know it sounds really simple, but I, I love like finding treasure in older things. I don't like it now with cleaning and three kids, but I had this love for like flea markets when I was young and, you know, old things. So I love going to the, you know, good, goodwill and getting books. And so a couple of those books I got, it was uh, Louise Hayes. I paid 52 cents for it, but she has a book of affirmations. So I keep that on my desk. And then I have Dr. Dwayne Dyer's book, you know, on success. And I, I got both of these for like a dollar <laughs> at the, um, at, at the thrift store. And I keep them on my desk in front of my computer. And I go through those daily affirmations. At one point I was sharing this on social media and people went out and got the books and they're like, where'd you get them? I was like, well, they were at the goodwill, but hopefully just will find them. <laughs> but, but things like that, like, I know that sounds really small, but it's just because my day as an oncologist and a mom and investor, some days, I don't know what they're going to hand me, but if I have that grounding moment, um, and another thing I really shifted, which I don't know if everybody has the opportunity to do, but I changed my work structure where I'm seeing really difficult patients and, and by difficult patients, I don't mean just personality. I mean, the type of cancer that they have, mm -hmm. I'm doing that in the morning because that's when I'm the freshest. That's just when my brain works because by the afternoon, I'm just like tapped out and I need to do things that I don't have to think about. So I rearrange my schedule that way to grow where I have it in front of me. It's like right there. I can just take a second, shut my door and look at some quote and, and apply it in my life. I love that. And it's almost to me, it's like conditioning your mind for success. Yeah. It's putting yeah. the, you know, you're planting the seeds instead of being reactive and saying, wow, there's a lot of problems and a lot of limiting beliefs all around me. So let me go ahead and, you know, take those and, and grow those in my own mind. You're planting and you're being proactive and conditioning your mind for success. But also I think the, the prioritization of challenging things when we have more energy, we, right. you know, we kind of deplete our willpower on a daily basis. So I think that is a huge takeaway. Say what's right. the most challenging or, or highest priority. Let's do that first. Right. Uh, if, if we're a morning person like you and I, it sounds like are. Right. Yeah, I'm definitely a morning person. But the other thing I just expand on that, and I don't know if this messes up the rapid questions. No, but no, it's, no. It, it, it's like, 
I don't know. I used to hate this because I'm just like, go, go, go. And I had to learn with personal development that it was okay to push something off like two weeks. You know, I used to want it done in a certain time frame, but now I plan things out. Like I stretch them out. I cut off, like I have a cutoff of after like two to three things that are high priority. Like I don't want more than two to three priorities on that day. Mm. And, and the way you do that is either you schedule it out or you get help or you cut it out because yeah. <laughs> you don't need to do it. Right. And so like, I'm very intentional about slowing my life down because that was not something that just came natural to me. as like a go getting position. I didn't want to slow down. Totally. Now I forced myself to slow down. I'm like, Nope, I'm not going to do more than this a day. I just, it, it's not possible. That's so. an awesome takeaway. And, and, and to me, it's like, if it's not sustainable, it's not successful. And I think what you just right. described there was sustainability of your success. Right. Um, I love that. And it's just implementing a principle that we can all easily consider and implement ourselves. Yep. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Dr. Melva? Oh gosh. I think I do this too much because <laughs> every time I try to quit on them, they're like, no, thank you so much. What's your name? We're going to remember you're here. Like, no, no, don't give me any more attention. I'm trying to like retire. Um, I, I feel that my biggest elevation for someone else is, is the truth. Like I'm, I don't know if you've gotten this from our conversation, but I sometimes can be blunt and I don't hold back with asking people like pushing them. I don't allow people around me to give excuses of why they didn't do something. I'll be really quick to ask, you know, like, why is that even something that you're still talking about? Or, mm. you know, like they'll say, oh, they haven't done this yet, or they live in this kind of space. And I feel like I elevate people just by the questions that I'm asking them. Like I'll, I'll have people, like I used to do these longer discovery periods and I'm like, wait, that this, this is like coaching. And they're like, well, Dr. Melba, you helped me just by the questions that you asked me. I want to know how to think the way you think. And so I think it's an elevation because of the experience and the problems and obstacles that I've been through. I see it coming for someone else. Cause you know, when you only have to be one step ahead of someone else to know what's next, like mm -hmm. a, a real estate investor, for example, if they're new and they didn't realize that they didn't have to have like $10,000, you know, earnest money deposit and they can have a picture of a check and get 10 deals under thing. you know, like someone who didn't know that when they find that out, it's like this eye opening experience. And it's not that you're better than them. It's that you're one step ahead of them. So I think I've done my best to really ask hard questions and, you know, to get someone to think differently than how they're thinking now. Cause that's what my mentors have done for me. They've pushed me. Like I remember the first time I went to a tax advisor and I said how much I made and he kind of laughed at me and he was like, I have people that have returns as much as your salary. And I was like, okay, we'll put my humble little self back down. I'll sit down. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not like, thinking big. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's like, thanks a lot, man. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for challenging us and thank you for telling the truth today. And thank you for being who you are. I just want to acknowledge you for not only being an oncologist and doing an amazing service to society, because you know what? Every single one of us knows someone who has been impacted by cancer. And so you giving yeah. back in your professional capacity is an amazing thing. So you, you deserve so much credit for that and continuing to give to so many people, but also continuing to challenge yourself to say, you know, what, what else can I do? What else can I create in my own life beyond just what an amazing, you know, impact that you're having on society. So you deserve a huge shout out. I just appreciate you so much Thank for you. being on elevate. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with elevate nation today? 
Oh gosh, parting thoughts. I think, I think I just want, you know, Elevate Nation to know. And I, I think you, you did a great job like keeping up with me. Sometimes people are like, oh my God, like what did she say? She talks so fast. Um, <laughs> but I, thank you. I've enjoyed this as well. And I, I'm grateful to be here. But I think I just want people to know like it is so possible for them. And especially in this time of, you know, depression, anxiety for a lot of people, grief and loss, like just keep your head up to keep going, whatever it is that you're working on in yourself. Like it is so possible. And it's kind of like that light at the end of the tunnel. Like it's still there. It's still there. Boom. What an inspiring way to end this conversation. Dr. Melva Penn Bingham, everybody. Thank you so much for being on the show. The listeners can find you on Instagram at Dr. Melva, of course, uh, on Facebook at One Code Collective, right? 1% Code Collective. Is that correct? That's my group. Absolutely. Yeah. And the doctor spelled out because there's another doctor. Shout out to her, Dr. Melva Green. She got on social before me. So mine is D-O-C-T-R-M-E-L-V-A. And you can find me on all channels there. So yeah, same on Twitter. And we'll put links in the show notes as to where you can find Dr. Melva. But Until next time, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Elevate Nation, I hope you enjoyed that awesome discussion with Dr. Melva Penn Bingham. And wow, I just, I learned a lot. Uh, I learned a lot about, you know what, never challenging, you know, never settling for the ordinary, because I think that, you know, what, what Dr. Melva has showed us is that even if you've reached a certain level of success, there's more that you can do for your family. There's more that you can do for other people. There's more that you can challenge within yourself. If you continue to commit and you think like a CEO, you shift your mindset, you shift your perspective, but also you shift your behavior and you also commit to the long term by being patient, by being by saying, look, I'm only committing to two or three, you know, huge actions or big actions on a consistent basis and saying, you know what, it doesn't have to happen overnight. None of this is going to happen overnight. In fact, if you want to be successful, if you want to be wealthy, if you want to create multiple streams of huge revenue of income of, of support in your life, You've got to be patient. You've got to chip away at that over time. So I just think that this is so valuable. I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show, identify what are your top one, two, or three takeaways or distinctions from this episode and share those and discuss with someone else because we learn more when we discuss, we learn more when we challenge each other. And I want to encourage you most importantly to take massive action until next time, Elevate Nation. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.